Uh, we're in Romans and uh, chapter 1. I want to look at verses 1 uh, through 17. I'll read, you can follow. Uh, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, uh, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, according to humanity, but also declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, and by or through the resurrection from the dead. And through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, and among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, uh, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, and both to the wise and unwise, so, much, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, the Gentiles. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. And Father, as we read your word, Lord, we're reminded that faith comes by hearing the word of God. As, as this book will tell us in, in several chapters later. And we pray this morning, Father, and as we begin this book of Romans... Lord, we pray that you would breathe upon your word to our hearts and lives. Lord, ask you to speak into our lives, Lord, the truths that are in this book. Lord, so often, Lord, we don't know or we're not fully aware of, Lord, what we may need in our lives. But Lord, I know that as we come to you, Lord, you understand perfectly. Lord, your word is spirit and life. And Father, we pray that you would grant to us open hearts, open minds, Lord, that we could be the receptacles of your truth. And Lord, that you would, just, you would grant faith, that we would go from faith to faith, that you would strengthen our lives, Lord, to bring glory 
and to bring honor to you. What a pleasure it is to know you. What a wonderful thing and gift that we have, this gift of salvation, to have relationship with God Almighty through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, this morning, we commit our hearts and minds to you. Lord, give us, we pray, ears to hear. Lord, what you have, Lord, as you have brought each one of us here this morning, you have things for us. And so, Lord, we open our lives to you. And just thank you. Thank you in advance, Lord, for the things that you have purposed, the things that you have planned, Lord, for each one of our lives. We know that, Lord, those things are good. But, Lord, because you are good. You are not only good, Lord, you are great. You are awesome. And, Lord, we invite you that by your Spirit, you would fill this place this morning. And, Father, fill our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we entitled uh, our uh, beginning here, this introduction to the book of Romans, Uh, the good news of God, or as we find in our text, the gospel of God. You know, the fact is, as as we look down the Carter of history, uh, we realize that God's Word has done some incredible work in transforming lives. He's impacted nations. He has changed history as he has gotten a hold of maybe one or two individuals, uh, as he would pour out his Spirit in a fresh way upon his church, you know, so often I find myself uh, and uh, our, our group here um, that, that are oftentimes in our prayer meetings uh, praying for revival, you know, praying for God to pour out His Spirit in a fresh way that we might impact, you know, this culture, you know, this society, that, you know, our families, our neighborhood, our community, and our nation. Uh, and it's only really through the church. Uh, it's interesting how there's always a secular view of history. You know, how things are changed and transformed. But really, behind the scene is always God working. God working by His Spirit. God energizing His people. Uh, God moving His people into important positions and using them in incredible and wonderful ways. And uh, when we think about uh, how He's done it, He's often done it through this particular letter. Uh, this letter here, of the book of Romans. And uh, he has brought redemption to mankind, and he's also brought re- revival to the church. And just to give you an example, um, uh, you've heard of uh, Augustine, or as some may refer to him as St. Augustine. Uh, well, he was living a pretty uh, carnal life. Uh, his, his mother was a believer, and no doubt praying for him intensely. Uh, but he was one time visiting a, a neighbor, and he was in his, a friend, and he was in the garden with his, with his friend there, and they were talking and discussing. And all of a sudden, you know, over the hedge, he hears the voice of a little child. And this little child is singing the words, take and read. And for some reason, I guess the Lord just drove those words into his heart uh, that he quickly dismissed himself, and he, uh, he, he ran basically to find a Bible. And as he found a Bible, he found it open to Romans chapter 13. Uh, and the result of him reading it, he was converted. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, we know that he was, a, he was a priest and he was a monk. He was an Augustinian monk. And uh, he is in Rome. He's on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he's doing penance. Uh, he's climbing up one of the cathedral staircases, uh, you know, saying the novena, whatever, you know, he you know, felt he needed to do. Um, and as a, you know, as a priest, he always felt like he was under a sense of condemnation. And as he was climbing this, prayer, prayer case, this uh, staircase on his knees, 
you know, praying, uh, hope, hope, you know, hoping that you know, his prayers, God would hear his prayers and forgive his sins. And he didn't really understand, he didn't really know Christ at the time. Uh, and, and this, in and, and verse 17 uh, that we read here, God just, God just spoke it into his heart, into his life, so much so that he just sort of stood up. It illuminated his, you know, his heart and mind. It converted him. He went back to Germany, and these were this, this book, Romans, was the seed uh, that began the, re, the, re, the uh, Reformation period. Uh, John Wesley, interesting too, his heart was changed. He says, my heart was strangely warmed as he was reading the commentary to the book of Romans. Also too, John Bunyan, he's in Bedford Jail. Uh, he's reading Romans, and what happens? Uh, what, is that, what does that do in his life that so changes his heart? He begins to write, and what does he write? Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, so hopefully, as we read this book as well, that it will be transformational to us. And the Word of God can do that. God's Word can wonderfully transform and change the direction of our life. Uh, it it ja- changes basically the whole trajectory. You know, so often we may have plans uh, of what, you know, what, how we feel we want to you know, live our life and what we want to do. But then enter God. When God comes into the equation of our life, he wonderfully, uh, he, he wonderfully intervenes. And sometimes, maybe even initially, when God's working in our life, it seems like an interference. But it's an intervention. You know, God's stepping into our life. And so it's uh, so important as we open our hearts and our lives to him. Now, in verse 1, Paul gives his credentials. And uh, as we find each... Uh, of Paul's books, and it opens up. He says, you know, he says things that are similar, but sometimes he puts a different emphasis on different things. But what is interesting here, you know, who in the world would ever introduce themselves as a bond slave, a, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, only a very uh, humble individual? And of course, we know that he was an apostle. You know, he had an authority and a commission, you know, by Jesus himself. And he, and he tells us here that he separated, you know, you know to the gospel of God, um, which he promised before through the holy prophets, or his prophets uh, in the holy scriptures. So it's not only good news, it's, it's more than good news, folks. It's great news. It, it's news that uh, I, I don't know where you were uh, and when it was when you first, and there's something about it. You can just sometimes be around Christianity. You can sometimes grow up in a Christian home. But there's, there's that moment in time where God speaks his truth into your life, and all of a sudden, you're hearing good news. And a lot of times, there's a, a lot of pain and suffering and difficulty uh, until we come to that point where all of a sudden, we hear God speak into our life. Uh, in a sense, he calls us. He, he calls us into relationship with himself. And all of a sudden, we realize that this relationship that the Bible speaks about is not only good news, it's great news. Uh, it's great news because he's calling us into this precious, awesome um, relationship of knowing him, walking with him, experiencing his love and his blessings, you know, in our life and in our particular experience. So it's wonderful news, and it's great news because Jesus, we come to discover that he died for our sins. He died for our sins. Uh, and, and like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And as we simply believe in that, it is amazing how simple the gospel is. It's amazing how oftentimes it's been complicated in so many different ways and layered with all these things that we have to do. 
But in order to be saved, all you have to do is put your faith and your trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think a lot of people, when they look at church, you know, they, um, uh, you know, maybe they have a stereotypical idea. Maybe they've heard certain things, you know, that uh, I remember, I can remember walking into different churches and uh, um, not feeling welcome, uh, being looked up and down, because maybe I didn't you know, look like a Christian. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't dressed like a Christian. Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it was, but I certainly felt uh, by, the re, by the reaction and uh, how people were looking at me, I didn't feel all that welcome. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, the fact is that uh, I, I think oftentimes, um, you know, we have, we, you know, the church sometimes uh, ignorantly, wrongly, as we have focused maybe on, the, on, on certain, certain things, emphasize certain things, that uh, we've turned people away. Uh, it was interesting that in England, when, when the famous Gandhi uh, was visiting Christian churches, because he was searching. He was searching like so many people. And he, he, he came into the, into the back of, um, a, uh, I think it was a Scottish Presbyterian church somewhere in England, maybe in Scotland. I'm not exactly sure about that. And one of the ushers came up to him and said, uh, uh, we don't think that you're going to feel comfortable here. Um, you can, there's a place where you can go down the street. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that, uh, you know, that, that we as believers you know, can, uh, can turn people away when the grace of God is, is so welcoming uh, so gracious, you know. Uh, the Bible's always inviting us, you know, into this relationship, you know, with Him. And, uh, and again, as we simply put our trust in Him, you know, what He does, He gives us this gift of, of new life. And, it, and it's so simple. It, it's so amazingly simple that children, uh, you know, children get born again in Sunday school. Um, and what do they fully apprehend? As a matter of fact, any of us, when you come to Christ, what do you fully know? How about Zilcho? I mean, I've known the Lord for 43 years now, and you know what? I, I'm discovering more and more what I don't know or what I thought I knew. And I've kind of realized I'm kind of scratching the dust, you know, off the surface a little bit. There's so much more to learn, uh, you know, about our awesome um, incomprehensible God. Um, he, he calls us to know Him. Uh, and that, that's not only a lifetime thing. You know, you, when you and I end up, you know, on that celestial shore and, uh, you know, we're going to have a fullness, you know, full understanding and our glorified, you know, bodies and minds. But there's still going to be all kinds of things that you and I are going to be learning. Um, and I'm so thankful, you know, as... as you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, the Bible says a little bit of knowledge puffs up. Isn't that true? You know, you, you, you take a seminar, you take a course, and you're like, I know it all now, you know. And, and, uh, and we're scary. We are scary. And, uh, and it's, it's so, I think it's so precious to, you know, to you know, have discernment and insight and understanding and realize how much we really don't know and how much we need to depend upon him. And we're ev forever... Um, learning new things about our God. And, and I think sometimes there's certain things that we need to jettison. There's certain maybe attitudes or a certain, uh, or, or, you know, maybe we just have a limited understanding about certain things. Uh, certainly I find that's true. I'm always, you know, the Lord's always showing me something fresh 
uh, something new, something wonderful, you know, about, uh, about him and about the Bible and Bible truth. <clears throat> now, the fact is, when we're given promises, remember, uh, as Paul said, all the promises of God in him are what? Yea and amen. All the promises of God that, that we have in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. That's why it's so important that we look to him. Uh, that, we, the, that we are established in our relationship with him. All the promises of God are fulfilled wonderfully in him. Now, in verses 3 and 4, he says something here concerning his son, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus Christ, he's the, he's the one and only, he's the original God-man. Uh, you know, that, that um, incredible union of, of God being fused into humanity. It's hard for us, you know, that it's called a hyperstatic union. It's hard for us to grapple and to get our mind around that. But the fact of the matter is, he was fully man and fully God. Uh, in order to accomplish, you know, the, 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 the purpose uh, of our redemption, he had to become a human being. That was one of the things we're talking uh, over and Wednesday night in our Colossians study that we just started this week about that very thing. And that was one of the, one of the, uh, the Gnostic errors of the day, that Jesus Christ was not human, uh, that he sort of, you know, he sort of hovered. Um, he didn't really walk. He didn't have a, a real body. He just had a spiritual kind of body. Um, and what it does, it, it, it uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's against the whole idea of the incarnation, you know, of God coming in, in the person, you know, of his son, uh, living a life and dying for the sins of the world. So he had to be, again, fully human, but yet fully divine. And, and as a man, again, he lays down his life. He has to pay, you know, that sin debt. He has to purchase. Uh, that's what that's about, purchasing mankind, purchasing humanity, um, you know, buying them out of the slave market of sin, and we all know this. We, we know what it's like to be a slave of sin. Um, we, we know we're basically at the mercy of our, our desires and our lust and, and the things of the world. Uh, I can remember, uh, it's a beautiful thing to worship God, but I can remember growing up, you know, being a, being a teenager in the 1960s, and uh, I can remember the pull, the magnetism of music. It was like, you know, it, it just held sway over people. It, it, it had a spiritual power to it. It wasn't holy. It was very unholy. And uh, even sometimes when you look at, you know, some of the, the, the impact in, in so many of the people's lives at that particular time. Um, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm thankful for the power of God's Spirit to change that. He's taken us out of that, out of that you know, that, um, that not only that culture, but out of that mindset. Uh, where we're just sort of driven by this impulse and that impulse. Um, you know, John Lennon uh, talks about uh, his experience uh, when he was on drugs, and he, and, he, and he confesses how the spirits would just fly through him. And that ha that's happening in our world today. That, 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 that always happens when people get, you know, plugged into the whole drug culture. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's not only a physical addiction, it is that but it's a spiritual power. It's a spiritual power that is wielded, you know, over people's lives. And the only way that we can fully understand it is when we're delivered from it. When we put our trust, you know, in Jesus Christ, 
and what he's wonderfully uh, able to do. And of course, according to verse 4, his resurrection demonstrates his deity. The fact that he rose. Uh, you know, look at all the great leaders of the religions of the world. Has any of them ever been resurrected? <laughs> I think not. I, I can remember uh, in 1985, we had a trip to China. And, uh, and Mao Zedong was, uh, you know, the, the leader there for a long time. And uh, he had died. Uh, and it was actually a national holiday when we were there in Tiananmen Square. And we saw this, you know, as we were touring, uh, we were smuggling Bibles. Okay, that was our main purpose to be there. But we also, too, were on a regular tour. And um, so as we're going through the square, we see this long line of people. And they're going through the rotunda uh, where Mao was. And he was in a hermetically sealed glass tomb. And people were, you know, walking, you know, through there to pay their respects, you know, to uh, what they deemed was their once uh, great leader. But he, like all the leaders, none of them have ever risen from the grave. And um, we realize that, uh, that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that yes, he was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful leader a great man, but much more than a man. He was divine. He was God come, come in the flesh. Now, verse 5 says that through him we have received grace uh, and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. In other words, who, whosoever would basically believe in his name. You see, the name Jesus is interesting. Because it says, you know, it is synonymous with grace. And another word for grace in some, some of our translations of the Bible is favor. And, and when God reaches out to a person, what he's doing, he is extending favor to that person. I mean, every one of us have special people in our life where we consider them, you know, great friends. Or they're, you know, they're, you know of, of, of our sphere of influence... You know, there's, certain, there's a certain group of people around us that they're our favorites. And, and if they ask us to do something, well, we'll gladly do it. We're, we'll help them in any way that we can. Even if it's, you know, loaning money and um, lending our support to them in any kind of a way. We, we have those kind of people in our lives. But you see, what God does through Jesus Christ, and because of his great heart and who he is, he does that through Christ to whoever will believe in him. He says, you're my favorite. You are my favorite. And what makes us special is the fact of who has extended that grace to us. It's him. Imagine if, you know, imagine if all of a sudden there was a knock on your door. And you open it up, and it's Bill Gates. And we hear he's a very, very benevolent person. And he's done, he's done a, he has done a lot of benevolent things. And he says to you, I want to be your friend. I want to do some really special things for you. And your mind's going crazy. You're probably thinking, first, I'm going to get rid of this house. <laughs> yeah, 
and I want a Maserati. And, and because of who it was, who said, I want to be your friend. And he comes into your house and he sits down and all of a sudden you have this conversation and you have this vibe of, wow, he really wants to be my friend. Just because he's a special person. But how much more so with our Lord Jesus Christ? His name, his nature is synonymous with grace and favor. His goodness toward you and me. You know, it's interesting because one of the very first lies in the Bible is this. To our parents, our original parents. That God would let you take from that tree if God was good. See, Satan is always trying to defraud us in our understanding of who God is. That he is good. I mean, what was your apprehension, understanding of God before you, before you, came, before you were converted? You probably had you know, all kinds of you know, weird, twisted ideas of who God was. But it's as we come to know him in Christ, we realize he's good, he's gracious, he's kind, he's generous. He's faithful. He's all these wonderful things. We've said this many times before that, you know, his work toward any one of us is thoroughly comprehensive, but yet at the same time, it's incomprehensible. His work toward you and me, thoroughly comprehensive. In other words, it's complete. That's what Paul tells us, right, in one of his epistles, Colossians, that we are complete in him. But yet, our understanding of him is so limited. It is incomprehensible. In Titus chapter 2, Paul gives, we were talking about this the other night, uh, giving a, we actually gave another definition, but there's a definition of grace uh, in Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14. Now, he says here in verse 11 of Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And here's also, too, when the grace of God is working in our life, it's teaching us something. It's instructing us. It's helping us to get a better understanding of what God is like. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust or desires that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's one of the things that it does. The grace of God teaches us. Isn't it amazing? No sooner do you come to Christ, you're thinking differently. You're realizing the things that I used to do, I, I don't want to do them anymore. And right away, there's an implementation because the Spirit of God comes in your life. It's like, I want to change. I want to change. I want to be different. <laughs> and he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's another thing, too. We're, we're ready. 
We've been talking about that. We've, we've, we've talked about that quite a bit, haven't we, over this last year in Revelation. Who gave himself for us, verse 14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous of good works. See, the grace of God makes you and me special. Because of him, what he has done, what he has wrought, what he has accomplished. I think a lot of people in this world are very, very lonely. There's something that cannot replace the love of God in someone's life. Now, human love is a great thing. It's an expression to a degree. of love towards someone. And as wonderful as that is, that is insufficient if one does not know the love of God personally. I was thinking about the love of God this week, and I don't know, do you ever have this, you know, when you think about yourself sometimes, a a why me moment? Yeah, me either. No, actually, all the time. It's like sometimes I feel like, Lord, how can you love this bozo? I'm not talking about any of you. You know who I'm talking about. I saw a news um, program this week, and it was heartrending. It was a young girl who uh, broke up with her boyfriend. She was just crushed by it. She took a gun and shot herself in the face. She was obviously trying to commit suicide. It didn't kill her. And the commentator, the announcer of the news article was was gave everybody a warning because they showed um, what her face was like um, after the accident. And it was like the whole middle part of her face was gone. And eventually she would have a face replacement, but, and they showed pictures of her. She was a beautiful young lady, a beautiful young lady. And when I saw what her face was like between, you know, the, the, the shooting, the accident, and the face replacement, the face replacement looked nothing like what she was. She could hardly even talk properly. But as I saw that young girl's face, and I realized that her whole life would be now so radically, radically, radically different. There was a tsunami 
of compassion and pity. And I just, I just, I groaned. I groaned and immediately began to pray for her. And what I was thinking about was the fact that what is, what, when she sees herself and what her future would be and how devastating that would be. And as I was going through this little experience, it, it kind of reminded me of God's mercy toward us. Not a matter of we, 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 you know, we haven't shot ourselves. That's not what I'm talking about. But he sees what our future would be. He sees what our life would be without him. And as I thought about this tsunami of compassion and pity, empathy and emotion and sympathy, it was like, it was just, it was like overcoming. So I, I, just sort of, I just sort of groaned for this young girl. That's what God has done for us in Christ. So much, so willing to come and to take our place on a cross. To take our judgment. To take our bullet. That's what the cross is about. Because there had to be justice. There had, sin had to be dealt with. And so he doesn't come and beat people. He doesn't even come and accuse people. He comes to save people. And, and we don't, you know, it's like a person has no idea what their, what their future holds without Christ. They don't, they don't know. But he does. So in his great heart, and with his empathy, and his mercy, and his love, and his justice, it's not, it's not just love, it's justice as well. There had to be a cross. He had to take our place. You know, when I think of the cross, that is a, that is a tsunami of mercy and compassion and grace. Now in verse 7 and 8, Paul is giving here his introduction to these Christians that are in Rome. He says they're loved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken throughout the whole world. There was such a gratitude that Paul had for this group of believers. In other words, that, that the, their faith had spread through the known world of that particular day. And what is also a kind of uh, an interesting thing when you realize uh, that their faith can be traced back all the way to Pentecost. Because when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 10, it speaks about the Romans there. They were there basically worshiping, celebrating, 
you know, Passover and Pentecost and oftentimes, remember, a, a, a Jewish male had to be there for three of the feasts. So oftentimes they stayed, you know, in that, in that uh, springtime uh, period uh, when, it, when uh, there was the, the Pentecost and, and, uh, and here 50 days later it would be, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Passover, then 50 days later it would be Pentecost. Uh, so there are Romans there, and so you can, their faith is traced all the way back to that event because, remember, Paul's not been there, you know, as of yet. And, and once again, you know, in verses 9, we, we see we're reminded here uh, that, you know, that God has chosen to use prayer as a vehicle to work through. Remember that. Remember how important prayer is. We, we need to be praying people. God looks down at the church and his aspirations are this, that we would be a house of prayer. You ever find the more you pray, you realize there's nothing to run out, you never run out of things to pray for? It's only when we don't pray. It's only really when we don't pray, we're not used to praying. We can't think of anything to pray. But the more that we pray, we realize there's so many more lives and, and issues and things uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, when I, when I come to prayer and I've been praying, uh, I've been involved in a men's prayer meeting, um, you know, basically since 1977, and every week of my life. And, you know, when I come to a prayer meeting, I, I don't come with an agenda. I, you know, I've, I have, a, I have some, you know, a, a little bit of a prayer list that I'm going to, you know, but I, a lot of times I don't even resort to it. But I find that when we come to prayer that the Holy Spirit becomes our great assister, assistant, where, where he begins to just sort of prompt and, and show us who it is to pray for. And, um, and you know, I'm really thankful because of late, uh, we've had some great prayer meetings. Um, been a lot of tears. Uh, I feel like we're on the precipice of something. I don't know what that may be fully. But I feel the Lord has been stirring in our prayer meetings um, a brokenness, um, a seeking Him, um, a confessing, a pouring out of our hearts. And um, maybe if you find yourself uh, in your individual prayer life, maybe that may be happening too. But um, I, I would encourage you to, to, to be a person of prayer. We, we, we certainly, we need to have that, that connection. God honors prayer. He honors prayer. He says we have not because we ask not. And we have seen, we have seen so much transformation that, that has taken place um, in the lives of so many people. We've seen marriages mended. We've seen people saved. We've seen people delivered from drugs. We've, uh, we've, we've, we've seen God do some really wonderful and awesome things, and thank God that he is not finished as of yet. Now, Paul says something here I think is very important. Uh, his intention in verse uh, 10, uh, he says, that I might find a way in the will of God to come to you. And verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. 
So he, he longed basically to, to be with them, to encourage them. And I think verse 11, it highlights the necessity of our gathering together and fellowship. You see, here's what happens is when we meet together, there's this dynamic of the Holy Spirit, and He is active. And a lot of times, we, you know, when, we talk about, when we talk about the spiritual gifts, we often put them uh, into a, a certain kind of category. But I think... And, it, and I think it's true also uh, that when we gather together, together and when, uh, you know, we're, you know, meeting and, 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 and ministering to one another, that, that God is, you know, interestingly displaying and activating those gifts that we have. But I think there's a whole category, and I think that's what Paul's speaking about here. I think there's a whole category of minor spiritual gifts. Minor things, that they're a spiritual gift, but we don't oftentimes think of it in that way. It could be this, it could be guidance, it could be wisdom. It could be a measure of fresh faith. It could be a word of wisdom, a word of encouragement that you need. You may come and gather, you may be just sort of beat up by life and by circumstances, and you come, to gather, you come and gather with God's people, you worship, you hear the word, and you just simply can't understand why. You feel better. And you go away with a new sense of expectation. I think there's all kinds of things like that. I've seen people come to church and get a job. <laughs> get a job. They're asking for prayer. And, and one of the persons that was standing around them to pray for him said, they know of a job. This person got a job. I, I've seen somebody come to church that, that was out of a job and get sufficient money to pay their rent. Now, that's not the reason to come to church. <laughs> We don't want to let that get out, okay? Uh, <laughs> services will be filled. <laughs> but, but the Lord does awesome things. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen people come sick and God touched them physically. I think there's a whole bunch of things that we lack and purposely... We lack them because God wants us to gather together and fellowship with one another, and He's going to work it through another person. You see, we've been called to be a body, haven't we? And that's why the Scripture says, don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together because you will always come up on the short side of things. There's so much that God wants to do for us. But He does it as we respond in obedience to Him, and we gather together with God's people. I remember one of our missionaries came from another country. And the missionary is basically an evangelist. And he's got little kids. And he comes over here and he's on furlough and he's visiting some of his churches. And one of the churches he visits, his little boy gets saved. Hard to figure, isn't it? Hard to figure God out. 
and why he does th certain things certain way. There, 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 you know, there's a, there's a, a method to it. There, there's a holy logic to it, but a lot of times we can't figure it out. And that's why it's so important that you and I are simply obedient. That we cooperate with God. And a lot of times God challenges us with a word, a directive to do something. And maybe just, we don't, I don't want to do that. Now, I know you never said that. I said it. I don't want to do that. But you find as you cooperate and you do it, blessing. And oftentimes it's more than one blessing. God has designed us to be a blessing to other people. To live unto ourself is death. It's death. We need one another. And he goes on to say, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. Pastor's got nothing if he doesn't have a congregation. <laughs> you know, when we're raising our family, our five kids, you know, when you're raising little kids and all, you, you don't think you're ever going to be out of diapers. You don't ever think you're going to, you know, get through that stage. But as they're gone and they're raising their own families now, oh gosh, I miss it. I miss it. So much so I have to go over to my children's house and bug them. <laughs> Spoil their kids. And they got the nerve to tell me, don't give them any candy. That's my prerogative. I'm a grandparent. What do you mean? Don't give him any candy. <laughs> no, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. Amazing how God puts a, a new love in our heart for people. And you can see that here with Paul. As a matter of fact, he was so, he was so driven, you know, by that. And sometimes God can put a, heart, a, a love in your heart for people you don't even know. He does that with missionaries all the time. You know, I, I just feel compelled to go. That, that was uh, a question that came to Hudson Taylor because he gave his whole life to China. Somebody said, you must really love the Chinese people. He said, well, actually, I really love God. And because he loved God, the love of God came through him to the Chinese people. You know, Paul put it this way when he spoke about his own life. A couple of verses in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 
He says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should not no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And again, that's, that is what compels us. That's what motivates us. That, that's what moves us. Because he died for us. And he places, he places, what is it, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God is poured out in your heart. Just, my, just like the love of God was poured out in my heart for that, that, that young girl. And if we open up our lives to him, that will happen for you and I. The love of Christ will, will, will usher, you know, out of our lives. And he says, I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks. That, that was the civilized world, the Greeks. And to the barbarians. And a few of them are running around today, too. Both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Over the years, I've alluded to this story a couple times. Didn't never, I don't think I ever gave you the whole story. But uh, the guy's name was John Harper. And he's a Scotsman. And uh, he was going to go to uh, Moody Church in Chicago. And he had a book passage. But here's a little background on John Harper. Born in Scotland, May 29, 1872. Became a Christian 13 years later. His life was challenged by adversity and punctuated by tragedy. Throughout it all, faith was his anchor. As a toddler, he fell into a well, near, nearly drowning. By the time he was 17, he was preaching. In his mid-20s, he was swept out to sea. And then six years later, he was stranded in the middle of the Mediterranean in a leaky boat. Happily married, he soon became a widower, widower, raising his daughter Nina after his wife died. An evangelist, John possessed deep, a deep passion for souls. And as a pastor, uh, he would often spend a whole night pacing up and down the aisles of his church, praying for his members by name. The early spring of 1912 found the Scottish pastor looking forward to a voyage across the Atlantic to visit Moody Memorial Church. His six-year-old daughter, Nina, uh, would accompany him, as well as his sister, Jessie, uh, who would tend to Nina as her nanny. John Harper and his small family boarded the Titanic as second-class passengers on Southampton, at Southampton on Wednesday, uh, April 10, 1912. John Harper and his family waved fondly at thousands who gathered to watch it set sail. Later on, the orchestra played and John Harper stood on the deck in the afterglow of the sunset, watching the western, the red western sky. And he said this, it will be beautiful in the morning. But at 1140 that night, a giant iceberg scraped the starboard side of the world's biggest man-made movable object. The deck was showered with ice. And as it buckled the sides, ripping open, open six watertight compartments, the sea poured in and the stern of this huge ship began to reel upwards. A few minutes later, a deep rumble could be heard echoing in the holds of the, of the majestic queen of the White Star Fleet. Uh, Jesse had been awakened by John, and grabbing the sleeping uh, Nina uh, from her berth, she took her on, uh, on deck, clad only in her nightgown and wrapped in a blanket. Harper scrambled up the deck, calling women, children, and unsaved 
into the lifeboats. Someone told him that there was an explosion, but in reality, the ship was breaking in half. And people began jumping off the decks and into the uh, dark ocean below, while other people were trying to buy their way into the lifeboats. John Harper flung himself into the 28-degree water, and over 1,500 people jumped and fell into the icy water as hypothermia quickly set in. Many died of exposure. Only six people of the 1,500 in the water were eventually rescued. One by one, each gradually drowned and froze to death. Harper gave up his life jacket to one man, as seen swimming frantically from passenger to passenger, and he was offering the salvation of Christ. Survivors report that he began witnessing to anyone who would listen. John Harper clung uh, to a board for nearly an hour, listening to the feeble cries as he called out, trying to comfort the frightened. Of the half dozen survivors that were rescued from the city waters, icy water, excuse me, that night, one of them was a young man that Harper had spoken to while they floated among the debris. Uh, historian Elisha Kaufman uh, tells about John Harper's last convert. Uh, four years later, a Scotsman rose in a meeting in Ham- Hamilton, Canada, and he said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. Uh, when I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow, and also on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. And he replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, the waves bore him away, but strange to say, brought him back a little later. And he said, are you saved now? (laughs) No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down. Uh, And there, alone in the night, and with two miles of water under me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. What motivated John Harper? Same blessed Holy Spirit that motivates us. You know, one thing we learned in Revelation that the Lord is coming soon. You know what we need to be, folks? We need to be reckless in love. We need to be reckless in our love for Jesus and reaching out to a lost and a dying world. Interesting way to come to Christ with two miles of icy water underneath you, huh? But he did. I think sometimes it takes that for some people. Was it James that says, some people you have to hold over the fires of hell. (laughs) You have to dangle them. But my goodness, why have to go through all that? He makes it so simple, so easy to believe him, to trust him. Anybody wants to commit their life to the Lord Jesus this morning? If you would be bold enough as to stand, we'll have a word of prayer. Anybody want to commit their life?
Anyone else? We never, we're never sure when it's our moment. We need to always be ready. Say, Lord, will you come in? Will you fill my life? We do that now, Lord. I thank you for these that have stood. And Lord, this simple injunction is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Thank you that you're the author of faith. And I pray for us here this morning. Whatever we lack, whatever we don't have in and of ourselves, Lord, you're the source. You're the source of all good things because you're good. And I want to pray, Father, for each one of these that have stood up boldly. Lord, you hung on the cross to declare before the world that you died in our place. And Lord, you call us to take a stand for you. So I pray, Father, for these that have stood this morning. May you bless them. May you reward them with the gift of eternal life. We thank you for that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.